0: Oh, first time in Japan? Uh Uh-huh. Oh. What brings you to Okinawa? I came to see a man. Oh, yeah. You have a friend living in Okinawa? Not quite. Not friend? I never met him. Never? (laughs) Who is he? May I ask? Hattori Hanzo.
1: Chris Couser here with... Mal. On this episode of The First Round. Matt and I are going to spend a few minutes, and hopefully a very few minutes, talking about Reminiscence, Hugh Jackman's neo-noir sci-fi thriller. I'll also share my thoughts on The Night House, the latest horror film featuring Rebecca Hall. Our samurai marathon continues with a non-samurai film with Igetsu. And then finally, Matt and I will share our five favorite flashbacks in a movie. Oh! And I guess we'll also spend a few minutes, Matt, and talk about the uh, Spider-Man No Way Home trailer as well. Lots to get to, folks. So let's start everything off with a clip from Reminiscence. I didn't get much from the Sylvan Widow, but it was enough. There's only one place where the trash piles up alongside all the city's lost souls. The old recycling plants. To find Booth and May, I had to go to hell itself. Hell itself, Matt. So why don't you tell the fine
0: folks, Woo! what is Reminiscence all about? So it's the near future. Um, I assume the polar ice caps have melted due to global warming and Florida is underwater. But there is some kind of society clinging to the remnants of what's left there in Florida the Hugh Jackman plays a, an army veteran from some hinted at that war that now runs a business where he can essentially make you relive your memories. And he falls in love with Rebecca Ferguson and becomes obsessed with finding out what happened to her. And then, unve- you know, unveils a noirish plot of intrigue and murder.
1: You know, it's funny when I was watching this thing, Matt, it reminded me in some ways of the Maltese Falcon. No, you know, even better, the big sleep. And that's because one of the big critiques of The Big Sleep, no matter how wonderful it is as a film, is that it is confusing as all hell. One of my favorite things about that is they went – they talked to uh, the author, um, Dashiell Hammett, right? That's who wrote The Big Sleep? Uh, uh, it was either Hammett or Raymond Chandler. I don't remember it was. Chandler. Which one it was. I apologize. It okay. was Chandler. And when they were filming the film, they're making the movie, and they're like – he watched it and he's like, well, I don't understand. Like who's the bad guy at the end of the film? And he goes, well – Have you read your book? You don't really say. And if you read the book, it's very confusing. Like there's really no real (laughs) like climax or ending in that thing. And I kind of got that from this is that it's very confusing. It's very bloated. It's overwrought, right? I mean, there is so much to try and pile into this thing for aesthetics and trying to build this world that basically there is no entertaining plot or story or narrative to really grab, grab onto because we're so focused on creating this world.
0: Am I wrong about that? What do you think? I don't think so. I think it's interesting that a movie that's all about flashbacks and living in the past would have been much better served if we could have gotten some flashbacks to like this war they're always talking about or mm-hmm. maybe the collapse of society and maybe try to hung more of the film on that as opposed to this kind of run-of-the-mill rote uh, romance slash noir adventure film or detective film which just doesn't really work. I mean, this could have taken place pretty much, I mean, other than the conceit of the memories going back and like being able to physically see them and relive them, this could have been any like hard-boiled detective movies from the 40s and it wouldn't have changed anything.
1: You know, I'm I, I I listen. I will say too. I enjoy the idea of Hugh Jackman as the grizzled private eye with a penchant for narration, maybe even over narration. I don't have a problem with that, and I and I enjoy him in that role. I watched this and I'm thinking, you know what? He would make a good Jack Reacher. He's got the size, he's got the presence. I think he could pull that off. Uh, but at least any type of, as I said, grizzled detective series featuring Jackman, I would watch. And I'd also say the first 15, 20 minutes of this film, I was pretty interested. I think it worked. I thought it was very successful was it setting everything up and how they do the transition from the introduction of Rebecca uh, uh, Hall's, Hall Rebecca Ferguson's character. And then when he when we get the reveal of what's actually been happening or a time jump, or however you want to put it, I think that was pretty clever and well done. But the movie becomes so obsessed with how clever it is as it, and then also, just, as I said, building this world that it's just – it's not interesting. It's an overstuffed mess and I ended up rolling my eyes a lot. And let's talk about too – some of the dialogue in this film is just atrocious, eye-rollingly bad. Uh, if I – I want to – I'll give it a little bit of praise and I will say that the fight scene with Cliff Curtis's character that Jackman has in – that recycling sunken place, I think was really well done. I think it was well choreographed. I think it was very imaginative, how they move from set piece to set piece during that that fight. And I think it was shot very well. I really enjoyed that part of it. But I, I think like for me, that's I think the only positive, like maybe the opening 15 minutes, that particular scene, and the rest of the film is, and even then that scene is, it still has its problems. But that's all I got. I mean, this thing is... It's just a mess.
0: I don't see... I don't... I've seen some some feedback from... On Twitter of some people we follow. And people that we've even worked with on the show. Um, talking about how much they hated this film. And I... I think it's a little over dramatic. Like mm-hmm. this film was in a good film, but I I mean, I couldn't muster up any like anger or hate for it. I mean, it's just a milk toast kind of middle of the road um half-hearted attempt at Hollywood throwing some money at this thing with a couple of bankable stars and just hoping that it sticks. I mean, it doesn't it's just so bland and middle of the road. It's hard to kind of like work up enough Irritation at it to like really have fun hating on it. I think it's just it's just uh, workman type film work that you see every now and again, and it's just it's nothing special. But I didn't I didn't hate every second of it or anything like that. Fair enough.
1: And I, I know HBO and Warner Brothers had some big hopes for this thing because it was created by one of the drivers of Westworld, which is one of their more popular series. Uh, Lisa Joy, she wrote and directed it. Do you think it has any opportunity to become like a cult classic? I think some of the elements are there, where that's highly stylized visuals, kind of the bad dialogue at times, some over the top performances. Um, like as I said, Cliff Curtis really chews up the scenery whenever whatever movie whatever scene he's in, he is
0: like yeah, amped up till like eleven. Do you think it has an opportunity to do that? I don't think so. I don't I don't really think there's enough here to really hang your hat on. I think when I think of like underappreciated cult classics or underappreciated classics like i think of gattaca which is i think a lot better than this in the same kind of vein this near future noir kind of thing or even something like um i had it and i lost it um something like starship troopers which is just so over the top that it's mm-hmm. like it's and it's bad in the best possible way um this i just don't think it kind of swings for the fences enough to really kind of get that kind of you know, it has a certain set level of charms. I mean, the charms are too subsumed or lower on the surface than to really kind of dig into it. There's, a, there's left way too much inferred and all the most interesting stuff, at least for me, um, is left as kind of this unexplained background that we never see. Like what
1: do you have anything in particular that spikes out for you?
0: Well, just like what I mentioned before, I'd be more curious as to what, what is this war they're talking about? Is it like, they talk about people trying to escape over the border, which border are they trying to get to Canada? Are they going to Mexico? Like what they're talking about the war in the Gulf. And I keep thinking this is a war like in the Gulf of Mexico kind of thing. Right. I mean, the implication that it's, you know, um, somewhere in the middle East, but. You know that's obviously what they're talking about, and there's more there, and I wouldn't doubt if Lisa Joy came up with a whole treatment of what actually the history of this thing was and what happened and what the the collapse of society was was all about, and that seems way more interesting than this kind of milk toast, uh, you know, detective story. So I kind of wish she had given me more of that. Well, that's interesting because one of the things I
1: was thinking about when I watched this was would this work better as a series
0: where you could really dive into that stuff. Yeah, I think it would work a hell of a lot better. I mean, if they had made this Westworld part two reminiscence the show starring Hugh Jackman and there's a lot of regulars from Westworld in this, um, I think that would could have worked a lot better because they could have allowed the stuff to breathe. Yeah, you could really expand the
1: narrative more, as you said, get into the war stuff, get into the lives of the people living behind the wall or outside of it, dealing with the catastrophic climate issues. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. You're right. I think that might, this is a, could have been a better opportunity for this if it had been billed or created as a 10 episode series at the least, if not a continuing one. Fair enough. So would you end up giving reminiscence then?
0: I give it a C. I mean, I can't it's it's competent it's it's not great by any means and i don't think i'll ever revisit it again but it's not so so bad that i can get get angry at it i mean um there's something there they just picked the wrong things to focus on and it's just uh just a little bit muddled and bland which i guess is what a c really is right
1: Hmm.
0: i don't know if i'd say anything
1: bland about it i think it's Aesthetically, at least, I would say there's nothing bland about the film. I think mm-hmm. a lot of thought went into the set design, the effects, all of that stuff. The thing really kind of jumps out at you with its world creation. But again, I think that's was the biggest, maybe the biggest problem. I ended up giving it a D plus. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow, I, yeah, I just was really disappointed by this thing. That's too bad. So, Reminiscence is currently playing in theaters and is available on HBO Max for a limited time. If you had a chance to see it, shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com. Matt, I want to spend a couple minutes just quickly let you know my thoughts about the Nighthouse.
0: Oh hi, Owen. So that is the husband. He took the boat out on the lake. He took a, a handgun that I didn't even know that we owned. In his note, he told me I was safe now. Safe from what? I don't know. I didn't think we had secrets. Everybody has secrets.
1: I know I do. Matt, The Nighthouse, featuring uh, Rebecca Hall. She plays a woman who has recently been widowed. Uh, her husband, as you heard in the clip, has taken his own life. But discovers that there is a mirror image of her house across this lake and that's available in all the trailers and clips and so i don't want to spoil too much because i think one of the biggest interesting things about this film is the mystery that the film is built up around it is a tense i think startling story about lost grief and survivor's guilt it's not your typical haunted house film all right now the film does go to some really dark places and i'm not sure that the that there's a 100 percent redemption for some of the characters involved in this film that maybe it tries to get to or not i mean it's it leaves things a little messy which i think is good and it doesn't lead you it doesn't hold your hand man through a lot of this stuff too which i appreciated it's definitely a different take kind of on the haunted house genre and i would have to say i think it's well worth your time i think hall is really good in this film she goes back and forth between this woman trying to figure out what's happening Dealing with the loss. Well, there's also something deeper and darker inside her as well. Uh, And she does a great job portraying that. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Again, it's not your typical horror film, haunted house type film at all. There's a lot more that this film has to say. And I think it's mostly successful at it. So um, I would recommend checking it out. It's currently playing exclusively in theaters. And uh, I would give it a B. So, oh. if you get it, I don't know if you need to rush out to the theater to see it and risk your life mm. like I did, but <laughs> when it hits your streaming services, I would say definitely check it out.
0: All right, I will check it out.
1: So, there you go. Uh, the Nighthouse, as I said, is, cu- is currently in theaters. If you've seen it, you know the drill feedback at the first com. Matt, let's go ahead and move on and talk about what's coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, August 31st.
0: Try looking into that place where you dare not look. You'll find me there staring back at you.
1: You mustn't speak. I remember your gom Jabbar. Now you'll remember mine. I can kill with a word.
0: And his word shall carry death eternal to those who stand against the righteous.
1: The righteous?
0: There is a Harkonnen among you. Give the Harkonnen a blade and let him stand forth. If Fade wishes, he can meet you with my blade in his hand. I wish it. This is a Harkonnen animal. Let me
1: please, my lord. The Emperor's blade. So Matt Arrow is releasing a, a UHD release of Dune as well as a Blu-ray some super special edition packaging. There's, I think, three or four different versions of this film. There's a ultra limited edition UHD Blu-ray steelbook, a limited edition UHD, limited edition Blu-ray steelbook, and then a Blu-ray, I believe. Uh, And you have to be very careful. There's... Because certain ones have um, the Blu-ray, some don't, obviously. And depending on what package you get, just do your research, folks, if you're going to end up buying this before you hit pay. And I believe the... UHD exclusive Super Edition Steelbooks are exclusive in the United States to Local Heroes, Grindhouse Video, um, Diabolic DVD, and I think Zavi US are the only ones that have it. And I, th- I, d- I think Diabolic may be sold out of their exclusive, but I, I think as of this past Sunday, Grindhouse Video still had some. So it's a brand new 4K restoration from the original camera negative of Dune. One of the big things too, Matt, people were concerned about, and I heard some pre-orders were canceled. Was because they supposed to be some big feature length documentary on the making of Dune that was supposed to be part of the set, and they canceled it. They couldn't get it together. So um, that made it disappointing if you're looking for that. There are brand new audio commentaries. There's a 2003 documentary on the making of the film, 11 deleted scenes. Uh, and then the special edition comes with a book with a bunch of writings and essays about Dune. Are you going to pick up the uh,
0: UHD of the uh, David Lynch Dune? I don't think so. I, It's a strange film. Dune is a, is a strange property, but uh, yeah, I don't think it really holds up that well. It's more of a curiosity for me. Fair enough.
1: Also, coming up is Lynn Manuel Miranda's In the Heights, featuring uh, a couple sing alongs and seven making of featurettes. An animated film, Mortal Kombat Legends Battle of the Realms, is coming out. There's a exclusive Best Buy Steel book. I think this is just. Uh, a continuation of the one featuring the Scorpion cover because Joel McHale appears to return as Johnny Cage in this one as well as Jennifer Carpenter. Paramount Presents is releasing Bugsy Malone featuring Scott Bayo and Jodie Foster, a brand new 4K restoration of that one with a couple making a featurettes that are new. Arrow is releasing The Brotherhood of Satan, a family is trapped in a desert town by a cult of senior citizens who recruit the town's children to worship Satan. Brand new audio commentary with this one, as well as some new interviews. Scorpion is releasing The Devil's 8. Federal agents infiltrate a prison chain gang and help six hardened convicts escape in order to build a team to take down a villainous crime boss. Brand new Couté master of that one and a new interview with actor Larry Bishop. Vinegar Syndrome is releasing a slew of releases. We have Through the Fire, also known as The Gates of Hell Part 2, and Dead Awakening. Brand new 2K restoration of that one with an audio commentary uh, interview with the co-writer, director, and more. Along with Fun City Editions, they're re- releasing Rancho Deluxe. 2K restoration of that one. Two drifters of a widely varying backgrounds, Russell Cattle, and try to Avoid Being Caught in Contemporary Montana. This one features Jeffrey Bridges. Jeff Bridges is in this one, my friend. Girl School Screamers, 5,000 limited edition. Seven college girls spend the weekend at an elegant estate, which begins as a fun-filled adventure but ends a Nightmare of Gut-Wrenching Terror. Brand new 2K restoration on that one. Tough Guys Don't Dance also gets a 2K restoration. Featuring Ryan O'Neill, Isabella Rossellini, Deborah Sunderland, and Lawrence Tierney. It's based on the novel. Norman Mailer's adapted and directed this film of mystery and murder. An alcoholic ex-con slash writer finds himself implicated in murderous plots, but can't seem to remember much. He sets out to investigate the case on his own. Terminal Island. In the wake of a Supreme Court decision to outlaw the death penalty, California passes an initiative that designates San Bruno Island as a dumping spot for first-degree murder convicts, free to do what they like, except leave. Brand new 4K restoration of this one, as well as some brand new interviews with the cast and crew. Auntie Lee's Meat Pies. It's a 5000 limited edition with a 4K restoration. Outside the small one-cop town of Penance, California, Auntie Lee bakes her popular meat pies. With the help of four nubile nieces in the ranch's blood, simple handyman, Larry. The source of the meat for the pies? I'll let you guess, man. Whatever it takes, another 5,000-piece limited edition. This film features Andrew Dice Clay and Fred Williamson. Two Los Angeles cops go undercover to investigate the distribution of steroids to wrestlers and bodybuilders to get a brand-new 4K restoration of that one. Something called Phantasm. Phantasm comes again. It's from Vinegar Syndrome. It may be an adult title. I'll let you look that one up. Also, 88 Films is releasing The Gestapo's Last Orgy from 1977. A Jewish World War II survivor revisits the ruins of a hellish concentration camp, Matt, and the memories are still vivid. How did she escape the humiliation, the tortures, and the destruction of human flesh? How did she flee from The Gestapo's Last Orgy? Brand new 2K restoration of that one. The film is complete and fully uncut. I know you, this one you've been waiting for for a while. Agfa is releasing She-Freak, also known as Asylum of the Insane. Jade is a waitress who leaves the greasy diner business for the excitement of the carnival, but quickly discovers that she despises freaks and human oddities. You need a brand new 4K restoration of that from the original 35mm camera negative. Archival commentary and a couple of making of featurettes. Kina Lorber is releasing The Raven. This is the Vincent Price, Karloff, Peter Lorre film. Also releasing the comedy of terrors featuring those same three actors. You get a couple uh, new audio commentaries as well. And then finally the Vincent Price film last man on earth. This of
0: course is the,
1: uh, it's a precursor to is, I am legend. The Omega right? man. Or, what was yeah. I think, uh,
0: I think last man on earth is, is one of the many films inspired by I am legend. So um, I am legend, Omega man, this. Yeah.
1: Kino's also releasing Loverites. A man becomes obsessed with a lady of the night from 1987. You get a shorter director's cut of the film as well as a short film by the director and audio commentary and a new interview. Your straight-to-DVD pick of the week, Matt. I'm going to go with Screwdriver. After a new part store opens in town that sends him out of business, the former town handyman takes revenge on the new owner's son and all of his out-of-town friends with his trusty
0: screwdriver. What should we be streaming this week? So I finally managed to catch up with um, a Star Trek series. I'm not going to recommend Picard of Discovery because I haven't seen them yet, but I had heard some good things about Lower Decks. Taking the name after the famous um, Next Generation episode that follows the less storied members of the Enterprise crew, this is really an animated kind of comedy version of a bunch of ensigns who are just starting their Starfleet careers and what it's like to live in the lower decks of a starship. It is pretty crazy um, and it is runs really fast and furious with some Trek jokes. So if you're into Trek, you're going to get a lot of the references, but Captain Riker showing up at the end as this like insane um, Cavalier Bon Vivant is pretty funny towards the end. So I would recommend it. Second season just uh, came out and it's available on CBS All Access or
1: Paramount Plus. Paramount
0: Plus. Yeah, Paramount Plus. Yeah.
1: There you go. All right, Matt. Let's hear your thoughts. Spider-Man: No Way Home trailer. What'd you think? What about all the reveals? How spoilery yeah. do you want to get?
0: I mean, is it really fair to be spoilery with uh, a a trailer? I mean, it's it's just a commercial, sure. so I mean we can we can talk about what's there. You know, anybody can see it for free. So, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about this. So all of the rumors that I think that we've heard about that it's going to be a mashup of uh, Sony things is true. I think, obviously, we saw Alfred Molina's Dr. Octopus. Mm-hmm. We saw the Pumpkin Bomb and the Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin laugh, which I found out willems defoe's name is not really willem it's william which was a complete shock to me um his actual yeah his real name is william he just pronounces it willem and then i think you know obviously there's sand and lightning so i think we're gonna get like a sinister six so i think we're gonna get electro back i think we're gonna get you know sandman back um so it'll be interesting to see what they do
1: what about Lizard? He didn't, was there any Lizard? I didn't see any Lizard tops. He's the only other video
0: villain, I should say, who wasn't represented then, right? So, from what I re- read in, in Reddit, um, they're blinking—you'll miss it—but people really kind of pouring over the frames. That looks like there. You can see very briefly like a silhouette of like the lizard, like leaping out at at Spider-Man or leaping towards Spider-Man. So I think you are going to get the lizard as well. I think the only one we may not get is Venom. I don't know who the, I think the current thought from what I read is that you would get Rhino in place of Venom.
1: All right. So then that would be the six then? Yeah. Yeah. The sinister six for the uninitiated. Yes. Which is a supervillain team up of Spider-Man foes. Here's what a couple things I think. A. Did you notice that Pete Peter's wearing a black Spider-Man suit in one point? In the yeah, film? well, he's
0: running through the – yeah, I did notice that. Oh, I definitely noticed that as he's <laughs> running through a cafeteria or something.
1: Yeah, and not just – because the new suit is black and red, like the mm-hmm. classic Ditko version actually mm-hmm. was. Not blue, but black and red. And um, I think that just evolved over time, right, because black looks kind of blue in light. And then eventually they just went with blue
0: and red. Yeah, I think it was. I thought it was because of the limitations of the printing process, and uh. on the newsprint it always looked blue in those old comics, even though it was supposed to be black. Um, and then they just changed it just to make be consistent. Fair enough.
1: But this suit is entirely black, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a couple things too. I'm convinced that Doc Ock is not talking to Holland's Spider-Man.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you think that Toby and and Garfield are running around somewhere in that same scene or in part of that scene? Okay.
1: Absolutely. And then there's my big pick, my big prediction, Matt, that that is not Doctor Strange. That that it's some type of, I'm not sure who, Mm -hmm. if it's a Dormammu thing or if it's Mm -hmm. somebody manipulating Peter. Because I know in the comics when – when, what is it? I don't know. his identity gets revealed, or Aunt may dies, or MJ, whatever it is. He makes a deal with Mephisto mm-hmm. to wipe out the past, right? And kind of reset yep. things. Yep. Now, I'm not saying it's Mephisto. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that I don't think that's Doctor Strange. First off, why yeah. is the Sanctu- Sanctum Sancturium, whatever it's called, in this winter mode? The
0: wall right. is there, right? right.
1: But. I don't know. There's his attitude, the way he talks, the things he's doing. It just it didn't. It just felt off to me.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a really interesting take. I think uh, I think you're right. Uh, I think it's interesting that they've already showing Doctor Strange and this multiverse concept. When we know a film called Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness is coming out, so I think maybe this will lead into the fact that Doctor Strange has already been replaced and he's being held somewhere, or mm. even even so. Maybe it's a, a an evil version of Doctor Strange from one of the various multiverses that are out there trying to kind of split this open. So who knows? It's, it's something that's going to be very interesting. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And I think what I did read, because I think this is Holland's last film signed in with Marvel, correct? Or as part of the MCU. I that, believe so. That this is basically going to then funnel him into the Sony uh, Spider-Verse, if you will.
1: I would stink if he's going to be separated from the greater Mm.
0: MCU after this. Yeah, I think so. That's what I
1: think. That's too bad. I think they'll work something out. There's just too much money to made it, I think. And they're just... I just don't know if Sony has the ability to make anything as entertaining as those MCU films. Outside of Spider-Man 2, you know, I just (laughs) don't know...
0: Yeah, I guess it's interesting because, you know, I could see them trying to say, like, okay, you know, have Feige and the Marvel writers come and give us, you know, pointers or kind of lead the charge, but we'll give you we want a bigger cut, you know, Disney. But Disney's been hurting so much and just all the stuff they're doing to kind of make more money. I don't know if Disney's gonna want to play ball like that. Like if you wanna you want us to help, then, you know, we're gonna need a bigger, more equitable split. That's too bad. I
1: just like them existing in the same universe it's too bad fair enough yeah me too uh all right good times what else did i have anything else no blacks no you talk about the foe yeah no i think that's basically it what do you do you think that mcguire and garfield are back
0: yes i do i think we're gonna get I, i would even be better with even with um i don't know if we would ever get it But I think it would be absolutely hilarious if we got like a Topher Grace version of Venom just running around in there for like a a few minutes. That would be hilarious uh, with Tom Hardy off on the side. (laughs) Sounds good to me.
1: (laughs) All right. What are your thoughts, folks, on the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer? Shoot us an email. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, let's move on. We are coming close to the end of our uh, Chanbara. Ooh, listen to me. Film marathon. That's right, our Samurai Marathon continues, kind of, with the Getsu. I'm like,
0: as a person who i
1: So, Matt, Ogetsu focuses on two, I guess, families. Uh, One with Gejiro, who is a... What do you call him? A pottery guy? There's a name for him. What am I blanking on? Uh, I don't know. A a potter? (laughs) That's what I would have called him. So he makes bowls and cups and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's a time of upheaval, Matt in the Omi province during the Sengoku period and there is war coming and the and Kenjiro kind of takes us an opportunity to really cash in as the armies are coming through and uh he becomes obsessed with making as much money for his family as possible while his wife as you heard in that clip all she wants is for her family to be together her her husband and, and their son meanwhile one of their neighbors tobei is also a poor kind of farmer guy who I don't know, he wants to be is a successful samurai and bring honor to his family well i would say more he just wants to be a hero and wants to be respected and not so much bring honor to his family and we follow this film follows their two paths and all of the horrible repercussions that their decisions have these are based on two tales from yuta akanari's um, stories first, the house in the thicket, and then the other, the lust of the white serpent. And our samurai connection here, I think, is tangential at best. Really, that only applies to Tobey, and it's not really even the point of the film. These are movies, Matt, basically focusing on what happens if you, uh, the results of greed or avarice, you or you want, you know, to be above. To do more, and I think one of the most interesting things about this film is looking at it in the time it was made. So it was released in 1953, and you have to have that perspective to think, to appreciate what director Kenji Mazaguchi is saying with this film, particularly, I think, with Tobey's story. Because he wants to be the samurai, he wants to be the hero, and this film really, I think, is an indictment on the ultra nationalism that gripped japan prior to world war ii it's really a social commentary on really what happened with them at that time and how then the rush to war and this is also one of the films along with rashomon that ignited an appreciation for japanese and say even international cinema in the united states and i think after watching this thing i agree I absolutely agree with that statement. What are your thoughts on Ugetsu? Is it a classic film?
0: Yeah, I think it is a classic film. Now, I think I will say you're right. It's not what I really intended um when we were watching this uh or coming up with this marathon to watch, but I, I don't
1: care. I'm glad it, I'm glad it slotted in.
0: Yeah, no, I I I completely agree with you. I thought it was a fascinating film like i think the what was the last film that we watched i've already forgotten it um let's see whatever that last film was as we looked through (laughs) it um that should just tell you i was a little bored watching it like it didn't really grip my interests while i was um sitting there watching this thing whereas this even though it didn't have the kind of crazy action that we got in shogun assassin or sword of doom I was completely riveted by this thing as I was watching yeah. it from like frame one, and I think it's interesting as Chris uh, mentioned. This is this this type of film. They don't call it samurai films. It translates into period piece, and I think that's exactly what this is. This is more of like a period piece. It's got some ghostly fable type elements to it and as chris said it's an indictment of where japan was um or at least a, a criticism of where ja- right. japan was immediately prior to this very with well within living memory people are still digging out of this so of the events of world war ii so i think it's got a lot more depth um maybe not as just crazy fun as some of the films we've watched so far but i i had a i really really enjoyed this first off i'm very disappointed that you just
1: quickly dismiss the tale of Zatoichi.
0: Right. That's, fine. that's it. That's sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't... I think as we're going, it's it's a, it's at the bottom of the barrel. I didn't think it was a bad film, but it's, it doesn't hold a candle to what we've seen so far no, for various no. reasons. It does.
1: You're entirely right about that. But uh, this here is just top-notch classical storytelling, Matt. And it is... I mean, it's the, the cast in this is universally excellent and has these wonderful little touches all the way throughout the film right so like one of my favorite things is when so I should say too there's also this part ghost story which i found absolutely riveting and whenever the they would enter in where the scene would change all of a sudden you could see their breath you know or it would get cold in the room right and it's just i don't know i just so many wonderful little touches in this thing it is it's really brilliant especially when he put in, as Matt and I said, the context of when this film was made. It makes it that much more striking to me. And also just the ending. When Gen- when Genjiro turns home, returns home, finally, right? It's absolutely heartbreaking when we get the reveal, when he gets home, you know? And it's just really fantastic stuff. And I am so glad, even though it doesn't really fit the mold of what we were going for, it it is a wonderful film. I ended up, Given you get to an A,
0: yeah, I think uh, I can't disagree with anything you're saying. I think this is one of those films that I definitely really appreciate it. It'll be something that I think of fondly, and I, I don't know how often I'll re- revisit it. But it is something I would consider adding to my collection on yeah. the off chance that I do want to. Um, it's not like something immediately fun that I would put on, but I'm, I'm glad we saw it, and it's. I think it's. I think it's an A film as well.
1: Just that scene when Tobe is now the big hero samurai leading the the battalion or the platoon or whatever it is, the group, and they come they come across that bathhouse, I guess, and then that mm-hmm. reveal there. It's just, oh, there are so many fantastic moments in this thing. Absolutely incredible stuff. Uh, if you have a chance to see you get shoot just an email at feedback at com. It is currently streaming on the Criterion channel, and I think it's on HBO Max. As well. Yeah, it is. It is on HBO yeah. Max as well, yeah. He's got to go to the TCM hub and uh, you will find it. All right, Matt. So coming up next, our five favorite flashback movies or flashbacks in a movie. I tried to choose a specific, you know, flashback in a scene. But sometimes the, some movies just didn't lend themselves to being able to choose one. But my clip here is going to be from, I think, a criminally underappreciated romantic comedy starring Ryan Reynolds.
0: Can I get ten copies?
1: Put them on the pile.
0: Uh, no, they're for Arthur. I need them like 15 minutes ago, so if you wouldn't mind. You're the toilet paper guy. Wait, who's that? That's April. Yes, I am in fact the toilet paper guy. Feel free to call me the bagel and coffee guy. Todd, in accounting, calls me Crystal, which I'm I'm pretty sure is a girl's name. How many copies? Ten. These. These? Yeah, both of those. What made you become a Bill Clinton supporter?
1: I'm not. This is a money game. I get
0: paid 12 an hour, which is better than babysitting, which is what I've been doing way too much, of.
1: So Ryan Reynolds stars with Isla Fisher, Abigail Breslin, Elizabeth Banks, Rachel Weisz, Kevin Klein. I mean, this thing is stacked with cast. It's uh, Adam Brooks' romantic comedy from 2008, and it's wonderful. Have you ever seen Definitely Maybe? No, I haven't. Watch it with the missus sometimes, Matt. It's very clever. It's basically that... um, So, Run's character is separated from his wife. And he, his daughter, played by Breslin, basically asks him to tell him the story of his romance, you know, and how... And all that stuff. So, he tells this in flashbacks, winding through, and it's a mystery as to who he's referring to as who her mother is. It's between the three women, Banks... Uh, isla fisher and then vice and it's really sweet very funny and very clever so if you haven't seen definitely maybe you should definitely check it out no maybe there all right matt why don't you start us off what is your fifth favorite flashback movie or flashback in a movie or yeah number
0: five. yeah so i i i try to do what you talked about i think my I think this, this list is going to be bookended by by two flashback movies, whereas the, the middles are kind of seen. So we'll just mm-hmm. lay it out that way. So my number five, then, is um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I mean, the entire conceit is flashbacks, where uh, Jim Carrey it, it basically goes through a kind of near-future um procedure to forget about his relationship with kate winslet's character and as that's happening as those memories are being destroyed in his brain he's kind of forced to relive the entirety of the relationship it's a great little film about like what it kind of means to have uh relationships and kind of taking the good from the bad and just the fact that things like this were not always all bad um it's a good heartbreaking film and i i think it um it deserves a place, especially on this list, as far as flashback movies go.
1: I have never seen it because when it no? came out, yeah, when it came out, I had this real, just visceral dislike for Jim Carrey. Yeah, so I never watched it.
0: Yeah, you should. I mean, I, I, am not a, the biggest Jim Carrey fan either, but I think he's he's he, this is a really good film. You should really check it out. Yeah, I, I got to do it at some point.
1: So uh, my number five then is Don't Look Now. Now, the thing about Don't Look Now, sorry, Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie, it's Nicholas Riggs kind of um, almost jalo horror film about a couple who recently lose their child in a drowning accident, and then they go to Italy, right? Why am I blanking on where they go? I'm pretty sure it's Italy. I can't remember. And um, strange things start to happen, and there are flashbacks and flash forwards. There's premonitions with the really shocking ending of a film when you find out basically everything that you've seen has not only been flashbacks or flash forwards, but have been leading towards this exact one moment the entire time. It's a brilliant film that's actually really gotten its due over the past five or ten years, but it is a creepy, disturbing, sad film that also had some notoriety when it first came out, Matt, because of how explicit i guess the sex scene was between donald sutherland and julie christie it's got that kind of reputation at the time so um but don't look now is my number five
0: wasn't the rumor that that explicit sex scene wasn't simulated at least that's what i heard yes i don't think that's true but that was always the thing like wow that actually yeah no nah. okay interesting um, i've never seen it never seen it i've just known it by reputation so i guess at some point i'll have to check it out there you go all right so as a as a uh, young man in 1999, I guess I had to throw this one on here because this is one of two that immediately came to mind when Chris suggested this list. It is the, the reveal, um, spoiler alert for a 25-year-old film, <laughs> um, it, that um, Tyler Durden in and um, Edward, uh, what's his name? I'm just blanking on his name. What's his name? The actor's name. Yeah, Ed Norton. Norton, thank you. Yeah. I was going to say furlong and trip you up, but yeah, I, I almost said furlong, and I knew that, I was like, that's not right. Um, Ed Ed Norton's uh, narrator character are the no, same person. Yep. Um, and basically, that's kind of all told in this kind of uh, psychedelic flashback um, put together. That and it's it's it was a big reveal at the time. Um, I think there was this was the same year that sixth sense came out and i actually saw this before i saw sixth sense so Uh. the sixth sense kind of reveal didn't have as much of an impact for me but this this one really really yeah it didn't because i you know because i'd seen it before already with fight club that this character was not who they were supposed to be or who you thought they were so yeah i think it's for all of Fight Club's misunderstood um, fans or who don't really get what this thing is trying to say, mm. it's still a film of ventures that I really enjoy. And I think it's fun to kind of see you know, how honest he really was to go back and see if it really holds together.
1: Yeah. yeah, I haven't watched Fight Club in a very long time. I have it on DVD and I haven't upgraded it because I'm, I'm basically holding out for a 4K. When the mm. UHD hits, then I'll upgrade it. But Mm -hmm. um, there's been some Twitter discourse. I don't know if you've seen that lately too, the film Twitter specifically, about uh, red flag films. If you meet a guy and he fight clubs like his favorite movie, that's a red flag. Or if he really (laughs) likes it. The problem Mm -hmm. is there's people like Matt, you and I, who understand what Fight Club is about and actually still enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, also like people who don't get Starship Troopers, something you mentioned earlier as well. Yeah. (laughs) So, all right. My number four then is the sister's suicide scene from Old Boy. When we have our main villain at the end of the film, we have the reveal as to what happened and why. And it is such a powerful scene. And what, what works about it too is that I find the scene itself to be unreliable. Or, I don't know if that's exactly what happened or not, or if it's more the flashback actually is a metaphorical memory exercise for our villain than it is an actual visual telling of what happened. But either way, it is a shocking scene in a movie chock filled with shocking scenes. And um, it stayed with me, obviously, to this day. I have not watched Old Boy in probably 20 years. But it's a movie that still grips me. Uh, that I, I, I do think I need to revisit at some point. But there's so many moments in that film. But for me, that was my number four was the uh letting go off of the uh bridge there in uh, Old oh Boy. There you go. That's my four.
0: <laughs> did you ever catch up with the Spike Lee Brolin version of Old Boy? Oh, I've never yeah. I've never seen it. I've never we seen did it. it. For I've the kind of thought that must
1: have been during Dave's run.
0: Yeah, that wasn't Dave's run. That was not my run. Well, you you lucked out. That is not good. <laughs> sad too <laughs> yeah well i mean there's a there's there's something to be said for though is not trying to change a classic or have we do a classic you know that's true they should have known better on some level all right so my number three this film has many 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 flashbacks in it and it could be you could pick any one number of them but i picked the um the story of oren ishii from kill bill uh volume one the story of paime was very close uh, oh, but yeah. uh, but uh, i went with Oren ishii just because of the stylized uh anime portion of it then that switches to live action where she deals with boss tanaka and you get that first geyser of blood that you're going to see many more times throughout the rest of the film it's a it was a cool little uh, way that uh quentin tarantino approached it and uh, i think uh my favorite, still my favorite films of his is the Kill Bill duology. But yeah, I think there's a lot of, a lot of great flashbacks in those films.
1: Yeah, that was my number six, the orangey thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely.
1: My number three then, Matt, is a film that I watch every year. Brings me the tears every time, particularly this one scene. You made up your mind yet? I'll take chocolate. With coconuts? I don't like coconuts. You don't like coconuts? Say, brainless, don't you know where coconuts come from? Look at here. From Tahiti, the Fiji Islands, the Coral Sea. A new magazine. I never saw it before. Of course you never. Only us explorers can get it. I've been nominated for membership in the National Geographic Society. Is this the year you can't hear on... George Bailey, I'll love you to the day I die. I'm going out exploring someday. You
0: watch. And I'm going to have a couple of harems and maybe three or four wives. Wait and see.
1: Man, that is uh, inappropriate for today. Uh, either way, <laughs> that George Bailey, I'll love you to the day I die. Hits me every time I watch it, Matt. And even now, I almost got a little choked up hearing it. I'm not sure what it is. It is such a perfect moment, and uh, that's my number three. That flashba- flashback to the the uh, pharmacy slash soda sh- soda shop. There, you know, it's a wonderful life. Such a
0: softie, Chris. Such an I emotional am. softie.
1: You like that? I, I go with "Don't Look Now," old boy, and then "It's a Wonderful Life."
0: Well, there you go. I can I can't wait to see what your number two, number one is. I, I think I have a pretty good idea of what your number one is going to be, though. They're pretty cliché, oh,
1: unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Um, So my number two then is, so whenever Chris suggests these lists, usually one thing will immediately pop into my mind and I always have to put it high up on the list. So this is my number two. It's the story of Gator and the other guys where Will Ferrell tells the (laughs) flashback of him being, you know, just helping out his girlfriends, making sure he kept uh, their dates on time, make sure the guys paid, those kinds of things where he comes to the conclusion that wait, maybe he's a pimp um, as he goes through it, but uh, just absolutely hilarious. The best part of a, of a, of a really good movie. Um, But the story of Gator is something that I think everybody has to experience at least once.
1: Yeah, that is
0: good. That's some classic stuff.
1: Uh, I totally forgot about that.
0: (laughs) Um, Not for sure. Not for sure that it would be on your list. I mean, Gators bitches always be wearing jimmies. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, My number two is a film I actually mentioned uh, earlier this episode, and uh, that is Rashomon. I had trouble choosing which one to take. If you're not familiar with Rashomon, a uh, gentleman and his lady are going through the forest and then get uh, attacked by a bandit. The gentleman dies. But what we don't know is who is responsible for his death. So the lady, the bandit, and then the spirit of the deceased all tell their versions of the story. Hence the Rashomon effect, where people who witness the same event all have different opinions or, or of what happened. All actually, that all comes from this film. It is the film that sparked my love of international cinema, specifically also Kurosawa. It's the first one I ever saw, and if I had to choose one. I vacillate between the spirit and the bandit cuz you know it's Mifune and what are you gonna how do you how do you vote against Mifune as the bandit but uh as it's just as the whole of a film it's absolutely stunning brilliant gorgeous
0: Rashomon my number 2 Yeah it was my number 1 I think it's really the I'm curious to see then what your your first choice is but uh Rashomon is is fantastic I mean it obviously it just brought about a way of telling story that's become so cliche and so built into the kind of narrative structure of cinema that it's it's crazy to think of this is the, really the first place a lot of that came came into effect.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that Kurosawa started. Like, mm-hmm. um, what the I believe he was the first one to do a shoot a camera up through the trees into with mm-hmm. the sun peeking through. He was the first one that did that. You know, this Star Wars wipes that everybody loves. That's yeah. Kurosawa. So, yeah, lots of stuff like that. My number one is the ultimate layup. It's the ultimate cliche. Uh, The greatest debut from a director in U.S. cinema history, and it's Citizen Kane. Mm. The film that I treated as homework my entire life, that I finally (laughs) caught up with last year and was absolutely floored by. Uh, If I had to pick one scene, because that's another film that's almost entirely told in flashback. Right. Um, It's maybe How to Run a Newspaper. There's so much joy and fun in that particular scene, you know. Um, uh, you provide what is it? You provide the press, and I'll provide the war. Something like whatever the phrase is. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, which supposedly is almost a direct quote from um. What am I blanking on? Hurst. Oh, okay, Randolph. Hurst, Randolph Hurst. The, the film that, Yeah, yeah, Ram, 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 that the film's based off of. But yeah, that's what I ended up going with uh, Citizen Kane as my number one, you're probably right. I could probably swap out Rashomon and Kane either Mm -hmm. one
0: really, but uh, yeah, that's what I closed with. Very good. What are your honorable mentions?
1: So I have usual suspects though. I hesitate to give Brian Singer and Kevin Spacey any uh, (laughs) love at this point. Uh, Memento. Yep. Um, As the mystery slowly gets revealed of um, what happened. Uh, What else? Godfather 2. Because De Niro's yeah. entire story is a flashback. Yep. The train scene in Casablanca when Ilsa yeah. first leaves Rick behind. Um, The last Tim Burton film, Big Fish. I think the last great film, I should say, that he ever did. There's a bunch of great moments as he uh, the story is being told to uh, McGregor about his dad's life. Social Network when... What is, what is that scene which says well, "If You Invented Facebook You Would Have Invented Facebook
0: yeah <laughs> and
1: then um, probably uh, I talked about Oren Chi and Forrest Gump okay which scenes in that one as well
0: no, I cannot stand Forrest Gump that is just a, a film that I that I hate
1: I haven't watched it since I had it on VHS so I have yeah. no idea if it holds up I'm probably
0: doesn't no uh the only ones i'll mention that you didn't mention um marriage story i think there's a lot of uh solid flashbacks in that. that oh, um, yeah it's a good one despite what you may think of uh of uh casey Affleck, uh manchester by the sea has some real gut punches of flashbacks especially mm. when you find out what actually happened um that caused his kind of life to fall apart
1: that's a great one and then two i don't know if it's the same thing but the flash forward from uh ter- terminator Mm, true not yeah. so much the second one yeah i like more the first one with the reveal with the camera pans up to the uh, yeah. t800 exoskeleton crushing yeah, the skull cool. and all that stuff.
0: yeah that is pretty cool good stuff
1: i guess it would have been a flashback for reese i mean he was there that's true that's fair yeah. enough. he was flashing back to the future <laughs> oh marty good times all right <laughs> you son of a bitch i'm in if you've, what's your favorite flashback in a film, choose an email feedback at the first run.com. Matt, what are we doing next week? Cause I think my, our calendar is all kinds of
0: screw yeah, up. Yeah. It's it's a little messed up. So I know we're doing Harry carry for the final, um, samurai film. And I believe, I think Candyman. I mean, that comes out this, this weekend. So is I, it I, candy man? Yeah. I think that's what I would like to do. All right.
1: Candy man. Sounds good to me. Oh,
0: I can't say it. We're Oh, I've already said it twice. We're in trouble. We gotta be careful
1: good times uh anyway check us out youtube instagram twitter facebook do a search for the first run scroll 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 you will find us you can just go to tfrhq at thefirstrun.com generally lots of stuff there go on up with apple Podcasts and give us a review It'll help other people find the show and we will read that review on the air and that's it I'm gonna go ahead matt take an extended break everybody go get vaccinated be safe be safe and we'll see you soon
0: Quiet, quiet, he's gonna say something. I'm pretty tired. Think I'll go home now. You could stop moving too, that'd probably be helpful. You know, I want you to feel better I want you to feel better because you're starting to piss me off, okay? You need this grumpiness because you're sick is not my I'm not, problem. I'm fine. I just want to catch. I need five goddamn seconds of silence so I can <sighs>
1: remove this god-awful hiss that I can hear. How would you like You listen to podcasts and the whole time you're like, <sighs> in the background. Well,
0: there's a, an easy way I could solve that.
1: What, oh, get a better mic?
0: Well, just for you, motherfucker, I did order a better mic. It just hasn't gotten here yet. So you're welcome. I just dropped two hundred bucks on a fucking mic so that you will shut the fuck up. Now let's hurry this up, okay? I like I could have thought of better things to spend two (laughs) hundred bucks on than your fucking happiness. Now let's fucking do this. I hope you were recording that.
1: Oh I am